0: If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of James. It's near the end of your New Testament, the book of James. If you've been with us on Sunday nights and going through our uh, sessions on Hebrews, then it's the next book after Hebrews, book of James chapter 1. And while you're turning there, there was a, a little boy who was in town and in the summertime, just doing what little boys do. And he was out in front of this little market and this little shop. And the shopkeeper had some of his wares out in front, some produce and things of that nature. And the shopkeeper could see through the window and he saw this little boy kind of pace real slow, kind of kind of back and forth. And he's like, uh-huh, he's up to no good. Shopkeeper rushed outside and says, little boy, are you trying to steal some of my apples? Little boy looked at the shopkeeper and says, no, sir, I'm trying not to. And, uh, you know, isn't that the, the, the deception of sin? There, there's so many desires that we have that it seems like it's not that we want to do something. We're trying not to do something. Whether it's doing something, a word spoken, a thought, or uh, an attitude. It's sometimes so troubling and, it, and it's weary at times to, to have those battles. At the heart of every sin, at the heart of every sin lies the temptation. We just don't go into a sin without it first beginning as a temptation, some desire within us. The problem is that desire is far more potent than we ever, ever thought possible. There's an old saying, and I, I know where I heard it from. I don't know if it was original Uh, to that particular pastor who who spoke it in a sermon, but there's this saying that sin takes you further than you were ever willing to go. It's going to keep you longer than you were ever willing to stay. It's going to cost you more than what you were ever willing to pay. And it all starts as a temptation. And so I, I know for a fact that this sermon is for everybody here. Because everybody here is tempted. Now, you, Some of you may sin a whole lot more, or a whole lot less than I do. And, but everybody has temptations. So this is going to strike everybody here this morning. And, 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 and I think we're going to learn some things about temptation that will be a sigh of relief. But, but also, I think, a great challenge for us. I want you to watch, I want you to watch this video for me that we've been showing these right before my sermons. And I want you to watch. I want you to watch this one. Yeah, we've we got to have sound with that. Or else it don't. It just, it just, not, it just doesn't have the same effect.
1: I sound good. I smell good. And I look good. Just when you think you've had enough of me, I draw you back in. Think you can break free from me? Don't be so sure. I am sin.
0: It's beautiful. It's temptation. It looks so appealing. No matter what it is. and you, Sometimes we have that feeling like we just, we can't break free. We feel like that we are already just in a temptation. We're in bonds. I'm here to tell you this morning that you're not. But we're also going to look at and learn some lessons about what temptation's all about. So if you have found James chapter one, let's begin reading in verse twelve. Would you stand together with me? We're going to read twelve through fifteen and let's just let's just honor the Lord. That's why I like to stand when we read the Word of God. From the English Standard Version, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, Heavenly Father, um, I, I've written down a lot of stuff, and and I have marked through some of it. I've wrote down other things, and I've, I've just I have been spoken to this week, and God, as as you have just allowed me to just immerse myself in this text, God, I, I just pray that I could emerge with some words that would that would bring uh, comfort and encouragement, and and and. But also warning. But Lord, let my words be a distant second to your word that's just been read. Uh, Father, this is your inspired word. There is no error. You did not make a mistake. This is your word. So God, I pray that it would do its work and have its impact in our lives this morning. Father, may you just anoint this, uh, this preacher this morning that I may speak what you would have me to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, this this well-known little text, this has been preached, I'm sure, many times before. You've, you've heard a sermon on temptation. It's been read from this text, and they'll probably start right here at verse 12. problem with verse 12 is that verse 12 doesn't, it almost kind of doesn't fit The whole concept of temptation, at least we don't think it does. When we start reading it, we we start reading about this issue of trials. But it's here for a reason, and and here's the reason why. James is speaking to people who are struggling with some situations in life. And in chapter 1, the first thing he's going to talk about are trials. Trials, not a courtroom trial per se, but a circumstance or a situation in which you and I are facing and we need help. I mean, we need help bad. It could be a situation at work. It could be a situation in our lives, with our, with our children, with our marriages. It could be a situation of, of anything. And, and and we have that great verse in verse 5. But if you lack wisdom in your trials, you need to ask God and He's going to give it to you. And, and James is writing about how God is going to supply during trials. And then he says in verse 12, Blessed is that person who's going to remain steadfast. In other words, who endures. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. For which God has promised to those who love him. And that's an interesting phrase right there too, actually. Will receive the, the crown of life. It's not salvation, we, you don't work for salvation, but it's a reward. Why? And how? There's one word, love. Love is the motivation, love is the motivation for, for wanting to, to, to remain uh, steadfast. Love, love for God is a motivation to stay strong even to, enduring temptation. So now you can see he's, he's going to kind of dovetail his whole discussion of temptation back to the issue of trials because they can almost seem like they go hand in hand. That we still need to remain steadfast and we can remain steadfast under temptations. But because he begins here in verse 12 and making this transition, a logical question will be, well, well are you saying that God is tempting me? Are you saying that this is coming from God? No, absolutely not. Doesn't come from God. That, that's a that's a resounding no. I think it's interesting that this writer here, James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is is kind of anticipating this question not just from us, but from but from the reader, the, from the very first reader, because in verse thirteen, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. He knows that that would be a logical argument because if we are going to endure trials and God does permit us trials, God does. He, he leads us through the the valley of the shadow of death, so says the the psalmist in chapter twenty three. And it would be logical to say, well, if he's going to lead me through trials, won't he lead me through or lead me to temptation? No, that's not of God. That's absolutely. In his full essence. In other words, he's not part God here and fully God somewhere. He is fully God everywhere at all times. I don't wrap my mind around that one. I don't think you could either. It's just kind of beyond us to understand the, the, the complexity and the gravity of what that means. He's omnipresence. Guess what? Satan is not. That's why when he came in the, in the book of Job, you can read it in the first opening chapters, when Satan came to God and God asked him, well, where have you been? He says, I have been out roaming the earth. Why? He's just one little person. Chances are you've never seen him. I'm pretty sure you've never seen him. I've read of one story from one missionary years ago. A lady by the name of Laura Bell Barney. Morality that is not born and based out of a righteousness of Christ is your own idolatry. Let me say that again. Your your righteousness, the good things that you can try to do and probably accomplish, if it is not born out of righteousness of Christ, it's your own. If it's your own, then you're not giving credit and glory to God. It's not by God. So therefore, yes, it's sin. Even good things. You say, how can that be? Romans chapter 6 explains it all. Paul giving his treatise on salvation and telling us about the deceptive power of sin. I I just don't think we we give sin enough credit. I I don't think we give ourselves enough credit about sin. I really think we have been, I think we have been completely sold a bill of goods to say too easily that we're good people. We can do some good things to be sure. But at the end of the, at the, end of the day, if those good things are not born out of a desire to give glory to God, they mean nothing. Acts chapter 27 tells an interesting story, too. Do you remember that little episode where Paul is shipwrecked? And and, and uh, he's shipwrecked, and, and they're on this island. And they find out that the island is called Malta. And there's some people already on that island. And what's interesting about these people is that they, they really took care of Paul. You remember they, they built a fire for them and, and just really helped them. But they weren't believers. How do we know that? Well, because later on in that text, those natives, or rather, excuse me, the apostle Paul was, was gathering, and a snake bit him. He shook it off, and he, and the snake didn't kill him. Didn't affect him none whatsoever. The natives thought he was a god. So, well, that kind of tells you right then and there where they stood kind of spiritually. Did they do something good? Yeah. They built a fire, they took care of someone was it out of a desire to glorify God? No, they just kind of did what normal people do. The problem is, normal people, without glorifying God, you're still in sin. I, I promise you, I don't preach this stuff to make you feel you know, cruddy. When I do preach this stuff, two things really happen. Number 1, I realize who I really am, and it makes my idea, and not really my idea, but my understanding of God's grace explode because why he would even still choose to send someone to die for my sin? Are you kidding me? And not just to be not just to be a sacrifice, but the final I'm telling you, if you're not getting uh, getting, uh, our Sunday night messages, you're missing out on your own spiritual growth. Because that's exactly what we've been talking about. Why on earth was the sacrifice of Christ such a big deal? Tonight we're going to be in chapter 9 and you do not want to miss this one if you want to understand the full sufficiency of what Jesus did on the cross, it's going to show you how big our sin was and why he did that for us. He first loved me. I didn't love him. Neither did you. Neither do you apart from Christ. And so James is saying, listen, there's no other alternative. Your desires will always produce sin. And then even as a believer, my my desires, if they're not Christ-like desires, obviously it's going to be sin because it's just going to be appeasing me. All right? And then sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, sin, that word is easy enough. it, It means to miss the mark. It means to violate God's standard. It's... You know, it's it's an easy word to understand, but fully grown. Now, the word "fully grown" is actually just one word in the Greek. We have to translate it into two English words, which is not uncommon at all. Apotaleo, apotaleo is this Greek word that's that's translated to to fully grown. It it means it means not just fully grown. It actually means completed. It means it means full circle. It means it is done. What is sin? Not just sin, the effect. There's only one effect of sin. When sin is complete, it's going to kill you. That's it. When sin is fully completed, you're dead. You're dead. Paul says you were dead in your trespasses. And sin. You're dead. Problem about being dead is ain't much you can do when you're dead. Amen. Apart from Christ. That's why that whole situation with Jesus and Lazarus. Do you remember Jesus? You remember Lazarus? He died. Jesus' good friend. Jesus wept. Do you remember? And they were complaining about Jesus, why did not you get, get here quicker? Well, he told them. Because I'm about to glorify my Father in heaven. What did, G, what did Lazarus do to raise up from the dead? He pray a sinner's prayer. Did he do anything on his back? No, he was dead. Jesus did it all. Paul says, you are dead in your trespasses in sin. The work of salvation is the work of God alone. That to me, after reading a text like this, to know that even my own desires, not Satan's, not God's, it is my desires. And the only thing that it can bring forth is death and the fact that God says, I will raise you to life. Are you kidding me? What love is this? What love do we see? Even in a text like this that's talking about sin. But God would choose to say, hey, I love you still. But you know, it, there's a bigger problem here. And it's, temptation is, is not the sin, yes, but, but the completion is the sin. And, and but, but don't think of this as an excuse now. It's not just something I have to do. No, it can also be something that stays within me. So it's not. So that's why Jesus said some pretty remarkable things about this on the Sermon on the Mount. Do you, you remember the Sermon on the Mount? All right, let me give you one example here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. He says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You don't have to do it. You thinking about it has already made you guilty. Just the fact that it's present in your mind, you're already guilty. Therefore, sin can be made complete with our hands. It can be made complete with our hearts. When it's completed by our hands, it's obviously easier to see. But but when it's by our when it's by our heart, though, it's not as easy to see. When it's fully grown, it brings forth death. Death is that little baby that emerges. Temptation is impregnated with it from the start, and there's no other logical result. My, my question is: Why do we want to maintain those desires that we know is just going to kill us? Why do we want to maintain those things in our lives? Why do we want to listen? Why do we want to keep joking about them? Why do we want to make light of the shortcomings that causes us to sin? So let me give you, um, and I've really kind of mentioned these already just in different words, but let me give you kind of three official statements of application. Something that you can take from this text, and I want you to not only write on that piece of paper, but just kind of write it on your hearts as well. Number one, I want you to first realize that I am first tempted by my own desires. I, I want you to, I want to make sure that you know that plain and simple. It's its clear as that you are tempted by your own desires. Satan is not omnipresent. It's not always necessarily demonic. Not to say that it can't happen, but let, let's just believe the word of God first and, and just say that right here that, that, my, my desires are my biggest enemy they're your first culprit so what do I do well let's let's identify them let's identify them uh, you don't need to do this right now but maybe sometime today maybe tonight or just afternoon Some of you may say, well, security. I want to be safe. I want to be healthy. I want to do... Okay. Now, they may, they, 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 they may be amoral. That means there's no moral obligation to them as they are. You know, I want to be healthy. I've, uh, over the past several months, I've dropped about 20 pounds, and I want to drop a little bit more reason why i want to do it is is not necessarily for looks although i i think i do look a little bit better when i'm not as rotund um but uh you know what's funny so someone said well, well pastor i i'm in rounds of shape so i'm always in shape right so no but um i i want to remain healthy for a number of reasons number one i think it makes me a better pastor you see when I, can, when I can do the, the, the work of the office of pastor without a lot of health issues, uh, you know, cholesterol and high blood pressure or my, diabetes runs in my family and things of that nature, I want to start looking after myself now. Uh, number two, I, I, want to, I want to be a good dad and a good husband. I want to be an example for them. So when you look at those desires, it's not so much the desire per se, but why are they a desire? All right, so, so Matthew chapter 6 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? First of all, if you didn't put that down, <laughs> you know, that's kind of a big one that you'll miss. You need to ask yourself, well, well, how are these desires helping me to seek first the kingdom of God? If you can't really draw a connection there, then maybe they shouldn't be as high up on your list as desires. Because if they're not helping you to seek the kingdom of God first, then what are, what, whose kingdom then are you seeking? That's when it can become sin. So I'm first tempted by my own desires. Number two, desires not of God will always bring death. And sin leads to death every single time. You say, Pastor, are you talking about it's going to kill me? Like physically? Well, it could. But but I'm talking about other, other types of death. What about a death spiritually? It means you're just not growing. What about what about those desires that just restrain you from growing in your faith and your knowledge of Jesus? Now, I, let me just say this: I can understand a sixty-five-year-old person. I'm just throwing out a number. A sixty-five-year-old who's only been walking with Jesus, only been saved and following the Lord for just a few years. I can I can honestly picture them asking me a question like, "Hey, hey, Pastor, how many books in the Bible are there?" But I cannot see for the life of me how someone who's 65, but following the Lord for 30 years, doesn't even know how many books there are in the Bible. By the way, do you know how many there are? 66. Okay, very good. There are 66, so now all of you know. <laughs> but it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. And can I get a little selfish with this? You know why? You know why it bothers me. Listen, I don't know it all. I don't. And one of the things I want in my life are people who've been following the Lord as long as I have and longer, but also know more than I do. You don't have to be a seminary professor or be in the pulpit for forty years to know those things I want you growing because you have something to offer me and as I'm growing I want something to offer who come behind me there's that old song that uh, how many of you ever heard of Steve Green he was popular way back in the 80s 90s I, I loved his music to be growing. But that's a problem when our desires haven't changed. It tends to take a breath and, and, and thinking a little bit. Anybody else had that problem besides me? Man, I just, you know. How about death mentally? Death mentally. You know, Romans chapter one, Paul says that. Several different times that this particular group of people. And he's describing individuals who just kept going into sin, into sin, into sin. And the word says God handed them over. What? To a debased mind. It means that was all they could ever think about. Don't let this happen to you. But number three. Number three, this is a good part. My desires can be changed. My desires can be changed. Please be mindful of the text of scriptures that I read to you earlier. You remember the Philippians text, the Colossians text? We were told explicitly what to be thinking about. And that's a good word. It's a good word for us and it's good instructions for us when we want to change our desires. But there's two specific things that we can use. One I've kind of already talked about because of these scripture passages, but it's the word of God. Let me give you further instruction. The word can help you because in Psalm 119 verse 11, you know this verse. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against God. Everyone here can memorize scripture. That's what the psalmist is talking about. Everyone here can memorize the word of God. I'm going to tell you, they sure are helpful. They sure are helpful. Because when you spend time in the Word and you're learning the Word, memorizing the Word, and sometimes you may be like me. Sometimes I can remember the verse and not where it came from. I can remember where something came from but not remember the verse. But hey, listen, if I am remembering God's Word and I'm letting it sink into my heart, I promise you it's going to make a difference. I have been convicted of sin before it even took root. Because the moment that desire emerged in my heart, it had a problem with the text of Scripture that I had just memorized. And I promise you this. Listen to me. Oh, listen to me. The Word of God is so much stronger than your desire. So much more glorious than your desire. And it can be changed. I know you think sometimes your desires are so strong. That video a while ago, that woman says, oh, you think you can break free? Yes, you can. But it's not your strength, though. I can promise you that. It's the strength of the Lord through His Word. But you know something else that I have found so helpful? Other people. Other people. I tell you all the time how much y'all mean to me. I'm going to tell you one more. Y'all mean so much to me. You know why y'all mean so much to me? Because I, I need you in my life. He, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now we can joke around with one another. We can can laugh with one another. But I want to make sure of one thing at the end of the day, you've been made a better person as a result of being around me. Or I've been made a better person as a result of being around you. That's the value of the church. That's why we need one another. To help one another. I hope that our victories will resemble that which was spoken of by Martin Luther. Someone asked him once how he overcame the devil. And this is how he replied. Well, when he comes knocking upon the door of my heart and he asks, who lives here? The dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and he says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he's moved out. Now I live here. The devil, seeing the nail prints in the hands and the pierced sides, takes flight immediately. That's good. Let me read that again. Well, when he he comes knocking upon the door of my heart and asks, who lives here? The dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and he says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he's moved out. Now I live here. The devil, seeing the nail prints and the hands and the pierced sides, takes flight immediately. It is surely good for every life and for every home to have Jesus as the permanent resident. Listen, not just for the devil, but for your desires. When those desires emerge in your heart, you remind your desires who lives here. You remind your desires of the heart that's full of Jesus and and not of that. There's an old line in The Wizard of Oz. You know, when I, I, look, I look at movies and I read, I always kind of put a spiritual template over stuff. I really do. And there's always been a line that's been in The Wizard of Oz that reminds me of this text. You remember when the when the Dorothy first lands in Oz, right? Remember? Tornado and all that stuff. And the house comes down with a crash. Munchkins come out and they start singing. Glenda, good witch, comes in her little bubble, right? And here comes the wicked witch of the West. Black, green, just looks hideous. And she threatens Dorothy. Do you remember what Glinda says? She says, oh, rubbish. You have no power here, be gone. I always think the power of Jesus over my temptations and my desires. Every time she says that, rubbish. Desires, my heart is not your home. You have no power here. King Jesus is my strength. That's why Paul writes to this Corinthian church, and you talk about a church who struggled with sin and who struggled with the temptation. Oh, they did. But he loved that old church. He says to them, no temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, what you are feeling is not something extraordinary. The desires and the temptations that you faced have been faced the world over by other people, okay? Okay. So don't think that you're in a different category or a different boat. Don't, don't think that you're just different, okay? It lets you, he's reminding the Corinthian church, listen, you think your temptation is that strong. Listen, it's it's okay. It's just common, it's normal. But God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, oh, please listen, please listen with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape you don't have to you don't have to what's interesting is this word faithful another time where the same word is used this word faithful was used prior to a sin that same exact word was used in a text that happens after sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. If there's one thing you need to know about the Lord, He's faithful. He is faithful. And just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, here's a kicker, verse 10. But if we say that we have no sin... Or we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, we like to stop there. But the text goes on. Remember, this is one letter. We can't just lift out one couple of verses. Listen to the next thing that that the writer says in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you would not sin. It's not an excuse. Just because God is faithful doesn't mean that we have the excuse to sin. He's just letting us know that he's there no matter what. And he's there in your temptation to give you that way out. So let me ask you a question. How many of you would really be willing to admit that you've got a problem in this area? Not sin, but I'm talking about temptation. The fact is that temptation is your temptation. How many would you be willing to admit that this is your problem? you're blaming way too much on other people satan politics whatever the you know you're blaming it on someone else but it's your desires I, I don't think i do it as often as i should but the question still remains what are those desires think about those things in your life that you really like to pursue are those the things that god would have you to pursue the Word of God, spiritual strength of other people, they are so helpful in times like these, in times like now.